You're listening to Spiritual Life in Marriage, part one of a three-part series from Ignite, a marriage conference hosted by Calvary Chapel of Crook County and taught by Pastor Jeff Stewart from Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley, California. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Jeff now. Well, how you guys doing? Good. Um, Ryan said, my name's Jeff, my wife Karen is here with me. Um, we have been married 18 years, 18 and um, 18 years, five months, and um, it's been a it's been a wonderful time. We've been Christians the entire time. Both of us were raised in um, in Christian homes, and uh, although uh, Karen was raised Baptist and I was raised Assembly of God, so we met in the middle at a Calvary Chapel, <laughs> and. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've been married and I've um, been pastor in Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley for, s- let's see, the girls were just born. So about 14 years I've been the senior pastor there. I was assistant um, two years before that. I've been doing marriage counseling since about, it seems like about a week after I got married. Um, and it's, you know, one of the things like when you're the assistant, And um, when our pastor didn't feel like counseling somebody or he thought their problems were too big, they weren't going to make it, then I would get them. So um, I didn't splash down with like real easy marital problems. And um, like the first wedding I ever did was doomed to fail before it ever began. And and that's why the pastor let me do it. You know, he thought it would be good training for me and he didn't want a failure on his record. So... Um, you know, I, I started out 0-1 in performing uh, marriage ceremonies, and uh, we've been trying to, trying to get uh, back up since then. Let me tell you what we're going to do this weekend. I have some desires. Um, not only have I done a ton of counseling, not only been married um, a fair amount of time, but I've done a lot of uh, marriage retreats. Um, we've had about 16 of them at church, and um, I've done some of them myself. I've done a, a session or two at others. Um, I've done marriage retreats for um, a handful of Calvary chapels. And um, so um, I want to do something a little bit different here tonight. Um, I've done a lot of going to the Bible, finding a message, and then, you know, kind of either relating a scripture to marriage. What I like to do is not go to the overtly marriage passages, you know, the Ephesians and and so forth. I like to find, um, I like to find a passage that, uh, it doesn't look on the surface to relate to marriage and then, and then kind of uh, make it relate to marriage. But what I want to do here tonight with you guys and tomorrow um, is I was thinking about this with, with our own church and I thought, you know what I really would like to do is maybe some, uh, some group counseling. Um, you know, like I said, I've done a lot of marriage counseling and so I tried to come up with a, with a deal where we could have sort of a group marital counseling session and... Um, if that sounds weird to you, it kind of does to me too. Um, and so this is, this is what we're going to do. I have whittled down all of the hundreds of marital counseling that I, that I have done, and I've come up with what I believe are the three most important things um, in a Christian marriage. And, um, and here's what they are. Spiritual relationship, communication, and sex. Um, these, these are the three most critical issues, and, and a lot of them are, um, are related to one another. Um, you know, obviously, communication will help you to have a spiritual relationship. A spiritual relationship will give you some 
good things to communicate about. A spiritual relationship, believe it or not, greatly affects your sex life. Um, you know, communication greatly can improve your sex life. All of these things are, uh, affect each other. And when I come through all of the, you know, adulteries and abusive situations and, and you know, my husband doesn't pay, te- pay attention to me and, and my wife's spending all our money and hiding it from me and any other imaginable thing that you can think about, um, you know, we, I've dealt with. And, and these are the things that I think are tantamount to having a healthy marriage. My desire for you is tonight, if you have a good marriage, that, that it would improve. That somehow you would hear something, you'd interact some way, it would spark something between you and your spouse, and you would leave our time here um, better, healthier, more productive, closer to each other. If you have a great marriage, it's the same desire. If you have marital problems, uh, my desire for you, my prayer for you, is that you would be able to recognize those maybe in a different way and come away with this with an ability to do something about it. Um, you know, I'm sure Ryan can tell you this, that, um, that marital counseling, um, you know, we don't have any great, easy, snap the finger, turn around three times solutions to anybody's marital problems. We have good advice, we have scriptural principles, and, and we have counsel to give people. And then they have to, you know, they have to take that and they have to believe in it and they have to do something with it. Um, my desire for this sort of group counseling session is this, that it would be fun I want it to be fun. I think it's a good environment to learn in. You know, I wish, I'm 42 years old, and I wish they had figured out that fun was a good learning environment back when I was a kid. You know, because I'm a boy, and I was constantly, you know, early on, I went to Christian school through third grade. I was constantly getting smacked, you know, for moving around too much, for talking too much, for force-feeding grass to a kid at recess, you know, all kinds of normal stuff. Um, and, you know, and, and just constantly. Then when I went to public school, they're not allowed to hit you. So constantly, my parents were getting called home, calls, you know. I was, you know, delivering notes, uh, mixed in my homework and all this kind of stuff. And that was long before anybody figured out that fun is a good learning environment. You know, that letting kids do stuff on a computer, that teaching them through games, that having interaction, you know, doing that kind of stuff is a great environment to learn. And I hope that you have fun here in our sessions. I also hope that it's informative. I hope that, that each of you, whether you've been married 30 years or three months, um, and you know, I, I think that hopefully you've been married three months, it's going to be more informative for you, but I hope that it's informative. I hope you learn some things. And then probably more than anything, my desire is that it's applicational. Not simply that you have fun and not simply that you're informed, but that you have something to do. That you, that you have some things to try, some things to put in practice, some conversations to have, some techniques that might help you, um, and, and that's my desire for you. This is what we're going to do in each session. I, I hope that you guys brought pens, um, and if there's anybody that doesn't have pens, you know there's at least half the people in here have a purse, so maybe there's more than one pen in that, um, and, and we'll do it. So... For, for about the next 15 or 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to you from the Bible, and then we're going to pass out some, uh, we're going to pass out some sheets. I'm going to ask you to fill out um, some answers and bring those up here. We'll have a little break, um, and then we're going to come back together. And this is how we're going to have a counseling session, because I think it would be kind of awkward, you know, to ask you to raise your hand, and, you know, is somebody going to go, well, you know, uh, my husband's addicted to porno, and then everybody turns around, and, and they know, you know, they know who it is, or... You know, 
my wife's a total nag, you know, and everybody. So I didn't think that that kind of counseling was going to work, you know. Closed door, me and you, maybe you'll say that stuff, but not in a room of, of 50 plus people. But this is how we're going to do it. Anonymously, I'm going to give you these sheets. Um, for the first session and the third session, you're going to get one. Whether you're a husband or a wife, you'll get an individual sheet. The communication sheet you have to fill out together. Um, you know, I thought it would be kind of bad to have you filling out separately and hiding from each other your communication issues. Um, kind of defeats the purpose. But in each of our three sessions, that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to end with, a, um, uh, with a, another session, maybe some closing thoughts and, and questions and answers. So we're now going to talk about spiritual relationship. Spiritual relationship is the foundational thing in a Christian marriage. In fact, without a spiritual relationship, I don't think you can call your marriage Christian. You know, it's not... Here's what I want to say about a spiritual relationship. Just because you're a Christian and your spouse is a Christian, it does not mean you have a Christian marriage. It does not mean you have a spiritual relationship. I think it is your responsibility to have a relationship with Jesus, right? When I stand before the... Well, I should use Karen as an example. When Karen stands before the Lord, um, Jesus is not going to ask her how close Jeff was to him. That, that's a personal thing between her and... And him. Now, you know, part of what I'm going to answer for, of course, is caring for my wife and loving her and, and because God's called me to be a leader, right? And, and ultimately, as a pastor, I've been held to a higher standard. If I can't rule my house well, then I have no business um, putting my hand in the, in the things of God, right? These sorts of issues. Um, and you need to have your own relationship. However, just because I have a relationship with Jesus... And Karen has a relationship with Jesus. That does not mean that we have spiritual relationship covered. See, a, a spiritual relationship is just like any other kind. It requires effort. It requires time. It requires investment. I can't have a spiritual relationship with Karen unless I connect with her spiritually. I can't have a relationship with another person unless I connect with them, unless I talk with them, unless I invest in them, unless they invest in me. It's just the way that it is, you know? Being so heavily involved in church, um, you know, for the last 20 years of my life, being in, you know, in ministry, um, full-time, paid and unpaid ministry, um, one of the things that has happened quite a bit is that I've gotten really involved in people's lives and we've had wonderful relationships and then for one reason or another you know they move away or they um you know they decide to leave the church or or whatever happens those relationships sort of sort of begin to die away and they begin to die away not because i hate them for moving or because i hate them for going to another church but because i my life is so busy i don't have a lot of time to, to invest in relationships that are not in my daily life. You know, I've got, you know, we're going, we're at church, you know, sometimes five times a week and, and we're seeing the people there and we're investing in them and Karen and I, and we got three kids and, and I, it's, it's just inevitable. You know, if they move away, we're just going to begin to lose that relationship. And, um, why do we lose it? Because we don't talk because we don't see each other, because we don't spend time together, because we're not sharing our lives and what's going on you know, in our lives together. That's how relationships die, right? It's how marriages die, right? Not spiritually, but just overall. You just stop, you know, you stop talking and you stop sharing and you stop caring, you stop investing. What's gonna happen? That relationship is going to die. 
Same thing's true in a spiritual relationship. It requires an investment. And, and I think the, the biggest principle I want you to know is this. Just because you're both Christians, it doesn't mean you have a spiritual relationship. To have a spiritual relationship requires investment. Now, um, I have some specific issues that we're going to cover on the sheets, but I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 2. Um, the points here in this, little, in this little portion of Scripture are actually what I usually do when I'm, uh, when I'm performing a, a wedding. These are, um, these are verses and, and things that, that I look to. Um, and I think that we're going to get some application out of them, not as people, you know, on our wedding day, but as married people. John chapter 2, it's a pretty familiar passage of scripture. This is where Jesus turns the water into wine. We're going to read verses 2 through 10. John chapter 2, verse 2 says, Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of the purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted that water that was made wine and did not know where, uh, where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, as I said, this is a famous story. There's three things that I want to talk about here that I think can be beneficial to us. The first one comes from verse 2. And I think this is a very simple thing. I think it's very easy to overlook it. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. To make any relationship a spiritual relationship, the first thing you have to do is invite Jesus to be a part of it. He has to be invited to be a part of your marriage. He has to be invited to be a part of your relationship. Um, I would imagine quite a number of you have children. And children can be terribly consuming. You know, if, how many of you have children that are eight years or younger? Yeah, these are the most time-sucking creatures on the face of the planet, um, kids at that age. I mean, it, you know, if you're wiping their butts or you're watching them dance or you're getting them something to eat or you're trying to put them to bed or you're trying to deal with a nightmare or you're wiping up puke, you're helping them with homework, it's unreal. The, the investment that is involved in raising a human being. And, you know, it, it gets a little better. Maybe, you know, maybe it was even a little before eight where it, you know, where it starts to get a little better. Um, but, man, it, it's difficult. And when you're married and you have kids, a majority of your relationship becomes, you know, can you help Johnny with his homework? You know, uh, Mary needs a bath. Um, who's going to get the kids something to eat? Can you cut up the food? Um, oh, no, they threw up on the floor. Oh, man, we got a note home from the teacher, you know. Um, and this is you, you know. She's acting like you. You have to go talk to the teacher and all of the, you know, all of these kinds of things. You know, it's just time-consuming. And your relationship begins to suffer. And, and it begins to take a turn away from what you want it to be 
what you need it to be, what the Lord intended it to be. You know, sort of overall and spiritually. And can I just say this to you? This doesn't have anything to do with, um, maybe with our topic, but um, your children need more than anything else for you to love each other. This is the primary thing that your kids need. Every one of your kids knows people, you know, depending on how old they are, they know people who are divorced. You know, and I can remember our kids went to public school, you know, sort of K through sixth grade in our neighborhood. And I can remember when they came home and, and you know, one of their classmates um, had, it was getting a, you know, their parents were getting a divorce and they were all shook up. And suddenly our kids were really concerned about the state of our marriage. You know, and, and you know, seven or eight year old kids shouldn't be concerned about the state of their, you know, of their parents' marriage. Your kids, their primary need in life is, to, is for you to love each other, to have a safe, healthy, wonderful relationship. And you know, although they might be demanding, although they might be unbearable, although they might resist it, they might think that what they want is attention. What they need is for mom and dad to be madly in love with each other. That's what they need, right? You, you know, being a Christian, that there's a lot of things I want from the Lord. But what does he give me? He gives me what I need. You know, he gives me what I need. And our kids, they need us to have a relationship. They need us to have a spiritual relationship. They need those things to come from us. And kids, at the very same time, they can be the thing that's driving the wedge between you, but what they really need. And you know what? I'm not saying don't feed them, don't bathe them, don't clean up their puke, and don't meet with the teacher. Somehow you've got to do all that stuff and still find a way to love each other. Still find a way to invite Jesus, right? I, you notice I just now remembered what I was talking about initially. To invite Jesus into your Marriage, into your relationship. You need to invite Jesus into your, you know, dealing with your kids. You need to invite Jesus into figuring out how you're going to pay the bills. You need to invite Jesus into um, dealing with each other's extended family. You need to invite Jesus into all of these things that make up who you are and the relationship that you have. You cannot have a spiritual relationship without understanding how important it is to invite Jesus to be a part of it. He needs to be invited. And this is one of those things that it might sound to you overly simple, but there are a bunch of us, myself included, that need to remember tonight how important it is to simply invite Jesus into our relationship. Such a simple thing to do. You grab the hand of your spouse, you say, honey, let's pray. And then you just say, Jesus, you know, we need you to be a part of our relationship. We need you to be with us. We need you to direct us. We need you to speak to us. We need you to let us know what to do. We need you to tell us when we're wrong. We need conviction. We need direction. We need love. We need forgiveness. Jesus, we need you to be a part of us. He needs to be invited. Now, the second thing, not only does he need to be invited, but verse 5, this is where Mary says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. He also needs to be obeyed. Right? Jesus needs to be invited. But when he's invited, he needs to be obeyed. And, and it's funny that, you know, we're, we're talking about kind of marriage counseling. Because there have been a bunch of times that I've done marriage counseling. And, you know, we've talked to people. We've figured out what's going on. 
I've given them some, some real biblical, practical things to do, and they just won't do it. And I'm always thinking, hey, you called me. I, I didn't call you. And, and you know, um, and, and then they just don't do it. Like, in other words, they've taken a step to kind of invite Jesus. Like, Pastor Jeff, we, you know, we want to come to you because you're our pastor. And, you know, we want to know what the Bible has to say. And so they're taking a step to, like, invite Jesus into their problems. But then they won't take the second step, right? Which, which is to obey. Whatever he says to you, do it. You know, it was probably about a year and a half ago. It was certainly before Karen and I started going through our physical stuff. And, and uh, I came home one day and, and um, Karen was in a bad mood. And I, I, I don't even really remember why she was in a bad mood. But I just remember being the self-consumed idiot that I can be. I can just remember having this overwhelming feeling that I don't deserve this. I didn't, I didn't do anything to you. What in the, why are you talking to me like this? And, and I was super proud of myself because I, I didn't react verbally, which is real easy for me to do. You know, I, I talk a lot, and so I can say a lot of good things, and I can also say a lot of bad things. And, and I didn't react. And I just, um, I, I just looked at her, and I kind of turned away. And, um, and I, as I was feeling proud of myself for not reacting... I felt the Lord just impress upon my heart, you need to go read your Bible. And I just thought, no, she needs to read the Bible. I don't need to read the Bible. I was having a good day. I was happy to be here. You know, um, I guess we might as well get this out of the way right now, okay? Um, Because I'm going to say some things I'm not sure, since I don't know you, if you're going to like this or not. But what I was thinking is, the stick is up her butt, not mine. That, that's what I said to the Lord that day. Well, I need to read my Bible. Are you out of your mind? And, and then I just thought, all right, you know what? I'll go read my Bible. And I, and I wasn't happy about it. I didn't think I needed to do it. And I just said, all right, I'll read my Bible. And I, you know, I opened up and I just started reading. And as I started, you know, at the beginning of the chapter, I just thought, this is stupid. I'm just reading my Bible. And then I got to this verse. Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. And I thought, well, I thought it was stupid for me to read my Bible, but this, it, this, is, this is out of this world. I cannot understand her. This is a perfect example. Jesus, I talked to her 45 minutes ago on the phone, and everything was amazing. All the way home, I thought about seeing her and what we were going to do tonight and how great it was going to be. And somehow, in 45 minutes by herself, she messed everything up. And now you're telling me, you're telling me to understand her. I can't. I don't. And I so clearly, so clearly, I felt the Lord say to me, okay, you don't, but I do. And if you would stop worrying about you and how you feel and why is this happening and you don't deserve this, I'll give you a little bit of understanding for her. And in that moment, I I knew somehow what I had to do. And I went into the kitchen and she was still upset and I, and I dared to approach her, you know? Um, and, And I just went up to her and I just wrapped my arms around her and I just said, babe, I have no idea what's going on, but I love you. I love you. And she started to cry. And then I started to laugh. <laughs> and we stood in the kitchen like that, hugging each other. She was crying. I was laughing. And like, it's just, 
I don't know. Somehow I understood. To this day, I have, really have no idea what was going on. Right? I don't, I don't know. I don't understand how that happened in 45 minutes. Quite honestly, she doesn't understand it. Right? And you ladies will understand that. She doesn't understand it. Right? Um, however, I understood enough to, to meet her. Right? The Lord was able to say to me, this is what you need to do. Just go in there and love her. You know, that will be understanding enough. And, and as, I, as I look back on it, how sort of pride, prideful and self-consumed I was, I almost missed obeying what he said to me. I came real close when I went in the other room to turn it on Sports Center instead of reading my Bible. And if I would have turned on Sports Center, I know exactly how it would have turned out. She would have stayed in there mad. Eventually, she would have come in. Eventually, my ability to, to um, that I was so proud of to be quiet would have disappeared. She would have, I would have said something that would have hurt her more. And then, you know, and then we would have had a big old thing. And, and I would have apologized anyway. You know? Um, you know, I, I, know how the, I know how that would have, how that would have went. But it went so much better because, first of all, I... I allowed the Lord to speak to me, but then I obeyed what he said, you know? Do you know that passage that says, husband, dwell with your wives with understanding? Do you know that's the same passage where he says, um, and he's, he's talking specifically about ladies with an unbelieving wife, but he says, basically, women, just shut your mouth, right? I love that passage for marriage because I call it the impossible dream, right? For, for men and for women. Right? Dwell with them with understanding that absolutely impossible. And for most ladies, you know, some guys are super understanding. Most guys, that verse is out of our league. Most ladies see a problem, know something's going on and be quiet about it. Just as far out of your league as dwelling with you with understanding is out of our league. And yet it's exactly what the Lord tells us to do, right? And so if the Lord impresses that upon your heart after you've invited him in, you know what you have to do? You have to obey him. Because if you invite him and you don't obey him, what's the point? It's like people going to church all their life and never inviting Jesus into their life. Never surrendering, never asking for forgiveness. Have you ever been frightened when you read in the Gospels, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we know you? Didn't we do all these things? And I'm going to say to them, I never knew you. You know, there are people that are going to sit in church their entire life and never take the step of surrendering their life to Jesus. And there are Christian married people who will sit in church next to each other, who will go to couples things, who will do couples studies, who will invite Jesus through all kinds of ways into their marriage, but will never obey what he says to them. And I want to say this to you at the very start of our deal in our interaction time, in our times of, of talking about verses, I believe the Lord is going to say some things to you individually. And I want you to know right now that hearing them is great. But if you don't obey, it amounts to nothing. It amounts to nothing. We have to invite Him, but then we have to obey. You know, the wonderful thing is the Lord understands your spouse better than they understand themselves. The Lord is able to lead you. He said, I have never heard the Lord speak to me audibly or even close ever in my life. But he has been so faithful to lead me. He's been so faithful to speak to me. That night, I don't have any idea how I got to that verse, but he knows. 
Somehow he knows. Somehow he brought me to that place. Somehow he did that. He is able to speak to us. And when he does, we have to obey. Now, another thing I love about this passage is that I think that it gives us the standard for what Christian marriage should be. Let me tell you what I think about state of the marriage in the church. You've all heard the statistics, right? And to be quite honest, Ryan has probably quoted them, I quote them. I have no idea where they come from. I just quote them because I heard some other pastor quote them. So I don't know if that worries you. I don't mind saying that because I'm not Skip Heitzig. I'm not quoting stats every week. And I hope he knows where they're coming from because everybody's quoting him. You know, this whole, we have just as many divorces, you know, in the church as they do in the world. Like, I don't even know if that's true. I know it's not true in my church, right? You know, I don't know. Does that come from the census? Everybody who checks the Christian box, um, you know, last time and they're divorced this time. Is that where that comes from? I don't know. I don't really think that one in two Christian marriages end in divorce. I don't think that's true. But I will tell you this. In my church, Christians do get divorced. Christians have gotten divorced. I have more than that one loss in my, in my column on, on uh, weddings performed, counseling given. Christians do get divorced. Um, I, I, think it's, you know, I think it's significantly less than non-Christians, and I define Christian maybe a little different than those stat people do. I think it's significantly less, less than half. You know, let, let's, say, let's say it's 20% of Christian marriages end in divorce versus 50. But I'll tell you what I do know. 16 years of pastoring, there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of unhappily married Christian people. A lot. The first thing I always say to young people when we start counseling is, listen, in this church, we already have enough unhappily married Christian people. And if that's what you're going to do, then just don't do it. One of the things I always tell them do it here at church. Go out and watch the married people. And ask yourself, is that how we want to be? Because every one of them was just as, in much, just as much in love as you are today. Just as committed to each other as you are today. Just as enamored with each other as you are today. And that's what happened. I think we have a ton. I would be fooling myself to think in a group this large... That, that there aren't a number of you that are unhappily married. That's not Christ's desire for you. That's not what he wanted when you came together. When he was present, you know, to, to bind you together. That wasn't his desire. Well, I think everybody knows that. What is his desire? I think his desire is represented to us in verse 10. And it's that part where, you know, they took some to the master of the feast. And he says, man... This wedding's amazing. Everybody else brings out the really good wine in the beginning. And then after everybody's drunk and their taste buds are dead, then they bring out, you know, the Ernest and Julio Gallo, you know, the, the box wine, you know, when, when the good stuff's gone. He said, but you, you're unlike everybody else. You kept the very best wine until last. We thought the first wine was good. But the last wine has been even better. And here's what I know about Jesus. And I know it personally. I know that when you invite him into your relationship, when you, when you do what he says to the best of your ability, and when you don't, when you repent, you know, to him and your spouse, and you do what he says, Jesus makes the latter 
even greater than the former. Jesus makes things better. The problem with America, and I always say this at a, at a wedding ceremony, the problem with typical American marriage is today is the peak. You look better than you're ever going to look again. Right? You know, one of the things that guys learn is that there are not people coming over to do your wife's hair and makeup every day. But on your wedding day, that's a thing that someone does. Someone comes over and does her hair and does her makeup. You know, she's not getting into a several hundred or several thousand dollar dress on a Tuesday. You know, and, and whether you know this or not, the peak of your husband's grooming, <laughs> personal hygiene, and caring about himself is the wedding day. Right? And you know that. But people don't know that when they're getting married, you know. You look the best you're going to look. You're, you know, every, you're smiling all day. People are taking pictures of you. You're happy. You have a wonderful day. And you better enjoy it. You know, because it's just a slow descent into hell from that day forward. That's typical American marriage. And I think, unfortunately, it has become typical Christian marriage. And what we do is we know divorce is wrong. We know it hurts people. We know it messes up kids. We know God doesn't like it. So we just hang on and slowly descend into hell together. You know, and people in the world at least have, you know, the good sense to let the other one go and float to the top. You know? But we just hold each other and sink to the bottom together. This is, the, you know, you're thinking, man, he doesn't have a great view of Christian marriage. Um, I have a great view of what God wants it to be. And this is what God wants it to be. I can tell you this today. I love Karen more today than I did the day that I married her. We've been married, like I said, 18 and a half years. And about 14 of those years have been amazing. You know? And we slowly descended to hell for about three and a half years. We had some hard times. Some of the stuff I'm going to share with you has been hard earned. I've paid for it in tears. She's paid for it in tears. We've paid for it with frustration and with anguish and with thoughts of why did I do this? I had the coolest roommates. Why did I do this? We paid for, for some of this stuff, but we stand before you today more in love now than we were then. She is more beautiful to me today than she was then. And, and you know, she's had three kids, right? Her body looks totally different and so does mine. Why is she more beautiful to me today than she was then? Because now I know she's beautiful, not only outwardly, but inwardly. You know, th those things describe her. Because in obeying and in inviting and obeying Jesus, I've gotten to know her. I've gotten to share things with her. I've gotten to see that she has things that I don't. And not just that I don't, but that I need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for each and every marriage that is represented here. Jesus, I pray that you would touch people on a, on a personal level, Lord. I pray that you would speak to people in ways that they need to be spoken to. I pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, we're going to pass out these sheets. And, um, hey, Chatter, Stuart, during the pass out, the, are you going to put on a song? During, all right, that's great. So we're going to pass out these sheets. Let me read you the questions. There's a thing at the top that says, I am a husband or wife, circle one. I would also like you to write in numbers the, the number of years you've been married somewhere on the top. So, 
you can do it anonymously, you know, like husband or wife. And, and if you, everyone knows exactly how long, you can round up or down. I don't care. But I'd like some general idea of how long you've been married. It says, a spiritual leader is, and it asks for your answer. One spiritual thing I wish we did more together is, and I feel spiritually closest to my spouse when? Those are the three questions. There's one for each husband, each wife. Fill them out. When you're done filling them out, bring them up here and set them on this stool, which is also a lazy Susan, so be careful. Um, Set them on the stool and then get a cup of coffee, get a water, go to the bathroom, and then we'll come back and and we're going to interact with these. I won't be able to do it with all of them, but... Man, that was a quick quiet down right there. I think I might want to record that, take it home and play it for some people in a certain Calvary Chapel in or near the city of Pomona. They don't quiet down nearly that quick. Um, okay, so the first thing I need to say is this. Um, don't be offended if I use your answer... And I disagree with it. Okay? Um, you you just, just don't be offended about that. I, I made a lady in our church upset at this class. And, um, you know, I, and let me say this too. You are absolutely free to disagree with any of the things that I say during this portion of, the, of any of these sessions. Um, and if you go home together and talk about disagreeing, that'll make me real happy. You know, if, if I can say something you don't agree with and you guys can talk it out and come to a conclusion and I think this and what do you think about what he said, then, then bravo, that, that's amazing. You know, that's really what I want you to do is to take ownership of these things. And, um, and here's another thing that Ryan will know about speaking is sometimes I, I think I know how I'm coming across and I don't. Sometimes I think I know that, I, that I'm making the point and I'm not. So, um, you know, if we were to sit down, if I was to sit down with your conversation, I might more agree with you than what it was I actually said or how I said it. Um, so don't be, um, don't be offended um, at, this, um, at this portion of, the, of any of these. I'm, I'm looking for things um, that are going to give me an opportunity to share with you some of the things that, that I would share with people in counseling that I, that I think you want to know. Um, First of all, this, this question, what is a spiritual leader? Um, here's what I think is generally true about spiritual leader in the church. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows. But every wife knows that it's her husband's job. And every guy knows he's not any good at it. <laughs> That's pretty much what it means to be a spiritual leader in the church today in a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church. Nobody has any idea. And the fact is, it means one thing to the wife and it means something different to the husband. And I I just want to tell you, ladies, and this is something you should know, 90-plus percent of guys continually feel guilty about not being a good spiritual leader. It is a constant source of not measuring up. It is a constant reminder that I'm not doing what I should be doing. And there's all of these sort of expectations. And, and you guys had some great answers. You had some um, confusing answers. 
Um, you know, I read if I were to read some of these things about, um, you know, about a spiritual leader, like, you know, it's like maybe Jesus could do this. Maybe, you know, uh, I mean, he's supposed to, you know, take everything to the Lord and he's supposed to diffuse every situation and he's supposed to make sure his wife and every one of his kids is close to the Lord and he's supposed to make every decision in a biblical and godly manner and he's supposed to make sure we pray and he's supposed to make sure we read the Bible together and look, who can do this? The first thing I want to say about spiritual leader is everything you think it is, let's just get rid of all of that. And, and the husband said, Amen, right? Let's, honey, are you listening? Let's, let's get rid of all of that. I think this ambiguous concept of spiritual leadership has done a ton of damage to spiritual relationships. I remember uh, knowing that a marriage retreat was coming and think, thinking, oh, crap. I really got to start praying together with... Uh, you know, with Karen, I got to make sure we read the Bible this week because I don't want to sit there and feel guilty again or, God forbid, stand there and feel guilty again. You know, it's the kind of thing where it's a really bad thing when you're a pastor and you're saying something and you don't want to make eye contact with your wife. And it's even worse if you're at a marriage retreat, you know? Like, did you notice that he kept, like, avoiding her? You know, he only, he only looked at the side of the room she wasn't on and way in the back, like... That, you know, that's not a good thing. This whole concept of, of spiritual leadership it has done a ton of damage. Now, I think that it is something that a husband's called to be. He's called to be the leader in a marriage. He's called to be the, you know, the, the head. He's called to be Christ-like. Um, just some general things I want to say about spiritual leadership. We're supposed to lead like Jesus did. Which means at its core, we, we just give ourselves away for the benefit of others. That's what it means to be a spiritual leader. It means to be Christ-like. It means to care about your wife more than you care about yourself. And let's go ahead and admit, none of us are going to do that all the time. Right? Um, n- none of us are going to be able to do that. Let me see. Um, okay, that, that's one I like. I'm going to save that one. Um, Here's here's a common one, right? Um, And there were a lot like this, but this one was concise and I can read it. Someone who takes the initiative to lead in spiritual matters, like praying, reading the Bible, sets a good example. Um, I think this this defines one of the things, and there were a lot of these in, in the stat. This defines a lot of the damage that happens to a spiritual relationship because of this idea of spiritual leader. Wives wait for their husbands to initiate prayer, to initiate a conversation about the Lord, to do devotions with the kids. Listen, a relationship is, is it's this. You, you are not my spiritual slave. Your job as a wife is not to wait for me to dispense the orders about when we're going to pray and how we're going to pray and, and when we're going to read and when we're going to talk about the Lord. And what happens is, you know, ladies tend to be more expressive. They tend to be um, more in tune to these things. They tend to be sensitive. And they're waiting for their husband to do it. And they're just getting more and more spiritually disappointed in him. And they're getting more let down and more um, confused and all of these things. And, and Karen and I have had, let's say this, one spiritual thing I wish we did more together. 
the vast majority said pray. Right? I wish we prayed together. Karen and I have had these conversations like, I wish you'd pray with me. And I don't know when it was. And I finally said to her, listen, if you want to pray, say, let's pray. Who decided? Show me the verse that says it's my job to say, let's pray all the time. You're a Christian. You can say, hey, I'd really like to pray. That's not against the rules. You're not, uh, you know, feminist. You don't have to burn your bra just because you said, let's pray. You haven't become a lesbian Methodist pastor, you know, because you suggested that we would pray. You're not unsubmissive because you said, let's talk about the Bible. This is a relationship. What kind of relationship would you have if your friend never brought anything up or they never called you or they never initiated anything? You'd have a crappy one. And people have a crappy spiritual relationship because some woman somewhere wrote a study book that said your husband's supposed to initiate prayer. And so every woman in America who's a Bible-believing Christian thinks she can't say, you know what, honey, I really would like to pray. And not every, right? It's bad to generalize. But a majority of people are waiting for the husband to initiate everything spiritual. I do not believe that's what it means to be a spiritual leader. To be a good pastor doesn't mean that I initiate everything spiritual in my church. So what it means to lead my church doesn't mean that I initiate everything. Doesn't mean everything comes from me. Doesn't mean that nobody can do anything until I get there, until I say a word. And yet I like to consider myself a good leader. Leader and initiator are two, can be and should be two separate things. Now, a husband should initiate prayer. But, ladies, if you have a, a need, if you have a desire, you know, you could help your husband by saying, hey, let's pray. Karen can help me by just saying, I really would like to pray. I've never said to her, no, I'm not going to pray now. You know, it's been, she's helped us spiritually. And it's a relationship she should help. A spiritual relationship is not one person doing anything but complaining and the other person being, you know, held to some impossible standard of making sure everybody who's ever passed through the door of your house is close to Jesus. This is not spiritual leadership. Um, let me see if I, if I circled any more of those. Um, I think spiritual leadership is leading your spouse to Jesus. I think it happens in everyday situations. And I'll tell you this. I, I think your husband, and this is something that you need to hear. Your husband is going to lead the way that God made him. In other words, if he's a, if he's a quiet, laid-back guy, he's going to be a quiet, laid-back spiritual leader. That's what he's going to be. If he's a loud, gregarious guy, he's going to be a loud, gregarious leader. If he's an in-your-face guy, he's going to be an in-your-face leader. If he's a, a, um, a hold-back, sort of watch-my-example kind of a guy, then that's the kind of leader that he's going to be. You know? And I think, it, it, I think that you can miss, as a, as a wife, leadership that's taking place because you're expecting him to be something that God hasn't made him to be. You can't expect your husband to be outgoing and take the bull by the horns and forceful if that's not the kind of guy that he is. And you can't expect your husband to be 
um, quiet and to only lead by example if that's not the kind of guy that he is. You know? And a ton of my spiritual leadership with Karen is not anything that she appreciates when I'm doing it. But she appreciates it now. A lot of my spiritual leadership with Karen is listening about her day and saying, yeah, you shouldn't have said that. You know, and I remember early on, she would get like really upset, right? I'm just telling, and we had to learn this, right? Because I wanted to fix everything. And so now, you know, I've kind of learned through the years when she just wants to talk um, and she's kind of learned that, that when something's wrong, I'm, I'm probably going to say something about it, you know? And I remember early on, we were, you know, we we're having this argument. I was trying to help her and she was upset. And I said, hey, people make appointments with me so I can tell them this kind of stuff. And she said, well, fine, then I'll make an appointment. You know, like when I want your opinion, I'll call the church and make an appointment. And, you know, we were both sort of right. You know, I, I was doing it at the wrong time. However, that was me being a spiritual leader. You know, she's doing women's Bible studies and they're talking about stuff and there's personality conflicts and, and you know, there's little, little um, fights for control and ladies are, you know, getting in prayer time and they're bad-mouthing their husbands and, and I'm telling her, hey, listen, that's wrong and that's you. You're the leader. You let that go on, that's you. You can't do that. And I know you're nice and I know you're sweet, but you need to say something. She didn't like that. But that was me leading her spiritually, right? Talking to somebody on the phone, I overhear it. Hey, you, you, you shouldn't do that. That's not right. Talk about it, you know, whatever. I, I've done a ton of spiritual leadership to Karen like that. Now, that's kind of how I am. You know, it's kind of, I hope also that she's learned something, by example, I hope, in 18 years. But I usually don't give her a chance to learn by example. I just tell her. You know, I tell her, hey, look at my example. You should be learning this. Like, that's it's probably my style. Did you see what I did today? You know, I was an only child. I've been wanting someone to talk to my whole life. So, you know, I got married and, and uh, became a pastor. So spiritual leadership is going gonna, is gonna to take place based around the kind of husband that you have. And ladies, if you have a quiet husband who just, who just goes about his life, then that means you need to be paying attention to how he's living. You need to be paying attention to what he's doing. Um, a wife wrote this. Someone who takes the initiative... Oh, wait, I already read that one. Where's the one that I wanted to read? Seriously? What did I do with it? Well, basically... I, I seem to have lost it. Um... Basically, it said, here it is. Someone who can help me stay on track in my, in my walk with the Lord. Someone who keeps me accountable. I think, that's a, I think that's a great definition of an aspect of spiritual leadership. I think that's a great definition. A lot of you said someone who you know, leads with the Bible. Someone who reads the Bible with people. Someone who you know, takes his family into Bible study. And we kind of have this idea that family devotions satisfies our obligation of spiritual leadership. I don't have anything against family devotions. That's probably not true. I don't think family devotions are bad. 
I don't think they're bad. I don't, I don't do and like family devotions because I, I think that the Bible gives us a, a different example. I think that what has been produced with a lot of, um, with a lot of family devotion time is the idea that um, we're with Jesus every Tuesday night from 7 to 7.40. And the rest of the time, just, you know, we're, we're doing whatever. But hey, we checked it off. You know, and I don't think reading the Bible is a bad thing to be committed to. Don't get me wrong. But have you ever read through the Old Testament? You ever heard the things that God says to his people? Like, I want you to I want you to drag a bunch of rocks out of the Jordan River and I want you to set them up here in a design. And the reason I want you to do this is because later you're going to bring kids here who weren't here today. And they're going to say, what are those rocks doing stacked on top of each other? And then I want you to explain to your children who I am and what I did and what it meant to you. The whole Passover meal set up with these things. You know, the Jews to this day have this deal. And I used to have a buddy. He was a Christian, but he used to be a Jew. And he was the youngest in his family. And it was always his job to ask, ask the questions. Why on this night, you know, above all other nights, do we eat unleavened bread? And, you know, he read from his little script. And, and they've made it into a totally irrelevant thing. But the whole idea behind that is creating an opportunity that capitalizes on your child's inquisitive nature and uses that moment to lead them to Christ. What can happen with a, with a structured devotion time is that your children can treat it like a math class. They, they can treat it like an obligation. They can treat it like a duty. You know, they, they can treat it like something they just have to get through so that they can get on with their life. And here's what I want to say to you. If you're committed to devotions, praise the Lord, do them, enjoy them, get closer to Jesus. But I would say to every father in this room, you have a responsibility to watch your children for moments that they are teachable, moments that they are curious, moments that are opportunities to talk to them about the Lord. Those lessons they'll remember. They might remember, and it might be an amazing thing to say, hey, every Tuesday night we did a devotion. And that might be a great thing, but they're going to remember when something came up in life, something happened at school, something happened between them and another person, and you use that opportunity to lead them to Jesus. You use that opportunity to point them to the Lord, to explain something about the Lord. You know, it was a tremendous opportunity for us this year with the election, right? Every time um, there's an election, it seems like Christians have this great desire to make it into an, you know, an eternal battle of good and evil. And, um, you know, our daughters are, we have twin daughters and they're freshmen at a Christian high school this year. And um, somewhere along the line, they got the idea that Obama is somehow related to the devil, and we had Proposition 8. I don't know if you know about this, but you know we were trying to get an amendment passed to, that would constitutionally ban homosexual marriage. And somehow my son got the idea that if it passed, I was going to have to marry gay people. Now, I don't tell him this, but I think some crazy person from my church told him this. And somebody, you know, told, basically, Hannah understood not only is Barack Obama somehow related to the devil, but all Democrats are in the family. You know, and, and if you've been around, you know, conservative, fundamental Christianity a while, you know that 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 idea permeates. Right. We're only allowed to watch Fox News. 
You know, we can't watch, you know, uh, CNN for sure. CNN is funded by the devil. You know, we can't, we can't, listen, the people that fund Fox News are as immoral and unchristlike as the people that fund CNN, right? They're just doing it because they know there's people who believe something else. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's absolutely ridiculous to think these things. Morally, I happen to usually align with Republicans. But socially, I don't align with Republicans. I, mean, I don't think, you know, I don't want them to raise my taxes to help people socially. But, like, like socially, I want to help people. I want to see people helped. I want people to have health care. I don't think universal health care is the way to do it. But I want people to be taken care of. I, you know, I want people to be benefited. I want inner city kids to have a good education. You know, all of these things. Like, as a Christian, I, I, I align with those things that way. We were able to take that and sort of issue by issue or, and just say, like, honey, listen, it has nothing to do with whether somebody's Republican or somebody's Democrat. It has to do with, with where are they with who Jesus is. You know, the reason people don't like Barack Obama, these are the reasons. You know, he's, he's pro-abortion. He's, he's pro-homosexual. These are the reasons that people don't like him. But he very well might have some other things that would be more Christ-like than the people who don't like him. We can't get into these issues. You know, Jesus didn't call us to, to go around and figure out who's from the devil and who's not. Jesus didn't call us to invest all of our energy to get a proposition passed. He didn't call us to pick it or to run around, you know, on the streets. I felt right at home today in Ben, a bunch of people on a street corner with signs about something. Made me feel like I was in California, you know. It was, it was like a nice little homey feeling. And I'm glad to see people here do exactly the same thing they do in California. They just drive by and talk about them with their windows rolled up, you know. I mean, like I, the lady had the sign, will work for peace. Ryan rolled down his window and wanted Andrea to say, really? I've got some weeds that need to be pulled. Will you you come home and do that? I'll give you a little peace when it's over, you know? Like, really? Um, And we were able... (laughs) We were able to use that opportunity to talk to our kids. You want to be a spiritual leader to your children, you need to be involved enough in their life to see and capitalize on the opportunities to talk to them about Jesus. It's not enough to teach them to memorize a verse. It's not enough to read a little story to them and put them to bed. That's not it. That might be good. That might not be good. You have to decide for your family. That, that's not enough, though. I know that. I know that you need to be involved enough in their life to point them to Jesus. I know that you need to be involved enough in your wife's life to point her to Jesus. To me, that's all that spiritual leadership is. It's pointing people to Jesus, simply. But when things go bad, when things go good, when you see things about the Lord, when opportunities come up, when you're listening to something on television, when you see something in a movie, when you have an encounter, when business things go bad, when business things go great, seeing and capitalizing on opportunities to point someone to Jesus is what it means to be a leader. Ladies, please do us a favor. Do us a favor and help us with spiritual things. Be the one to say, I really want to pray with you. I really want to talk about what the Lord showed me in the Word. I really want to sit down and read a chapter of the Bible together with you. 
You are not bad. You are not usurping authority. You haven't become Absalom. You're okay if you do that. And in fact, it would be a tremendous help to us if you did. If you just said, hey, honey, I want to pray. Hey, honey, let's talk about the Bible. Hey, honey, I want to tell you about what the Lord showed me. You know, for a long time, Karen would never do that because I was a Bible teacher and she was afraid that somehow I would think it was stupid what she had to say. So she would never do that. So we, we had a, um, a couple years ago, we had a discipleship group. Maybe it was last year, I don't know. And we had these, these girls in our church that were missions-minded and we took them through the New Testament together. And Karen, we, we just all read through a chapter, write down what the Lord spoke to us, we get together and share it. And Karen was consistently like ministering to me with the things that the Lord was sharing her. And it was a wonderful thing because she got to see me and I guess a non-threatening way to say, man, that is really good. Like I needed to hear that. And so then now she's become, you know, um, a part of sharing with me what the Lord says to her. And it is a, such a blessing to me, such a blessing to me. And we were hampered in one way spiritually for, you know, 16 years because she was kind of afraid to, to say, honey, I, man, I want to tell you what I was reading today. I just want to share with you what the Lord spoke to me. And probably it has something to do with me listening to pastors give sermons and her hearing me critique those, you know, said sermons probably has. I remember one time we got a, a free tape from a, a local Calvary pastor. I was listening to it and I was just like, I was just, this is unbelievable. I can't believe he said this. This is ridiculous. It doesn't point people to Jesus. And Karen's like kind of quiet. She never really said anything. All of a sudden, I never knew this was bothering her. She presses eject on the tape button. We're driving on the freeway. She chucks the tape out of the car. <laughs> and she goes, why are you listening to it if you hate it so much? I can't handle this, right? And I was just dumbfounded. I thought I was just offering a very scholarly critique of a... You know, of a Bible say, I mean, if you're a light salesman, you look at every light bulb you've ever seen. If you're a landscaper, you talk about how somebody landscaped their yard. If you're a plumber, you want to know what kind of pipes people have. You know, it's, I'm a pastor. I, 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 what I'm really trying to do is impress you by letting you know I'm way better than this guy. You know, unfortunately, I wasn't impressing her. You know, and, and I'm sure that fed in to her not wanting to tell me what the Lord showed her from the Bible, right? And so it took us a long time to come to that, and I'm so glad that we have. I am better for it. I'm a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, and a better friend because she says, let's pray. Because she says, honey, I want to tell you what the Lord showed me in the Bible today. Our kids are benefited because she leads them spiritually. I'm her spiritual leader. And I'm also, I guess, the kid's spiritual leader. But she is also a spiritual leader to our kids. And guess what? She's had the benefit of staying home with the kids. And I'm, I'm not home with the kids. And so especially when they were little and they got out of school early and they didn't go to school, she had a tremendous time opportunity to pour into them spiritually that I didn't have. And the older they've got, the more we've been together, the more they get into real life situations, the more opportunities I have had to point them to Jesus. And our kids are benefited because they have two parents. Ladies, I, 
I don't want you to sit at home with your kids and all wait for daddy to come home and somehow, you know, be out in the world getting flipped off by people who drive by him, getting pulled over by, you know, the Oregon State Troopers. I just told Ryan today after seeing cops, like, you need some crime up here to keep these guys busy. Like, I've never seen so many cop cars on the road in my life. Um, and Andrew said, no, we don't need your crime up here. So she's probably got a point there. He's, he's been flipped off by people. He's been harassed. He's had things go wrong. He's blown it a couple times. He walks through the door and he's supposed to somehow turn in to super spiritual man and, and be ready to teach a Bible study. You know, don't, don't have, you know, don't have your kids just waiting with anticipation for dad to dispense some kind of Bible knowledge. In fact, that's a tremendous amount of pressure on a guy. You know, take your opportunities to lead him to the Lord. And, and fathers, you take your opportunities to lead them to the Lord. And ladies, if you want to read the Bible together, then tell them that you want to read the Bible together. I know most of you are, are driving home tonight. This is something that you should talk about. Hey, you know what? I want to pray together. I know we should, and I never suggest it, and I'm sorry. I'm going to try to start suggesting it. By the way, you know Karen and I's most amazing time to pray together is on long drives in the car without the kids. I, you know, the, the only downside is I can't close my eyes. You know, but other than that, we have had some of the most amazing times of prayer when we got a 30, you know, to an hour drive together in the car. And there's nothing else going on. And if, and if she hadn't said, I really would like to pray, I would just listen to the radio or to a CD or to my iPod the entire time. But she said, you know what, honey, I want to pray together. Right now the kids aren't here. Can we pray? She suggested it one time in the car. It was phenomenal. And, and we do it all the time. And I wish I could take credit for coming up with that great idea, but I didn't. It was her. And, and you guys should talk about how, how I like, yeah, I want to pray more. I want to pray more. Husband and wives. You know, it's, it's almost like I want to give you back these things. And, you know, like, look, you want to pray and you want to pray. So, you know, how about I got a great idea. All my experience as a pastor, why don't you pray? You know, she wants to pray, you want to pray, you know, go ahead and pray. And it doesn't matter who says let's pray. It doesn't matter who talks about it. What matters is that you develop a spiritual relationship. It doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters that you get there, right? So there was a, there was a husband who said something that was... Um, that was phenomenal to me. I feel spiritually closest to my spouse when we pray together. He asked me how, this is a wife, he asked me how I'm doing in my Christian walk and I can share what the Lord is doing in our lives individually. Prayer is a main component of both of these second things. It's what most people wish they did more together and it's what most people say makes them feel spiritually closest. Can I tell you something? I think praying together as a couple is the single hardest thing to do. At least it has been for me and Karen. It is just hard. I'll, I would stay here tonight and pray with every single one of you. But I don't, why can I not seem to find the time to pray with Karen? I mean, I literally, I would stay here, you know, as long as you let me sit down. I would stay here until three in the morning if you needed prayer and you wanted to pray and I would pray for every single person. But I find it so hard to find the time in my life to just say, honey, let me pray for you. It is when we feel closest. It is what we both want to do. But why is it that it's so hard? I'll tell you why. Because the enemy knows that when we do pray together, our hearts are knit together. We're closer to the Lord. We're closer to each other. 
And I think he does everything he can to keep us from praying together. I think he does everything he can to keep us from any spiritual investment in each other. I think that's what he does. I want to... I want to read to you... Someone there said they have a hard time praying out loud. Um, And I understand that. I understand that. I feel for you. Now get over it and pray out loud. That's my advice to you. You just got to do it. You talk, don't you? And if you talk, you can pray. You know, if you're mute, then you're exempt from praying out loud. If you're not mute, you can do it. And and just tell your husband, honey, I, I have a hard time. I'm shy. And if he makes fun of you, you go straight to Pastor Ryan and, and Pastor Ryan will verbally slap him upside the head. Um, here it is. One spiritual thing I wish we did more together is pray. It always amazes me what my wife says in her prayers. I think prayer is so essential in a marriage because I, it, you can communicate things in prayer that are difficult sometimes to communicate in other ways. You know, especially when I was young, when I was younger married, I had a, sometimes I had a hard time like admitting I was wrong or seeing that I was wrong about something. My whole life, once I see I'm wrong, I'll apologize right away. But it would be hard sometimes when, when we were arguing about it. I was kind of defensive and she was attacking and, and I would have a hard time. But when we would pray, when it's me and the Lord, I'm able to suddenly see what a jerk I've been. I'm able to just say, Lord, forgive me. You know, it's good for her to hear me pray for her, to just hear my heart for her. Lord, bless Karen and touch her and help her and pour out grace on her, Lord. Just love her today. Let her know how important she is to you. To hear my heart for her, it's good for her. To hear her heart for me, it's good for me. Praying out loud together is a form of communication that is a wonderful thing to do. You want to get close to somebody, you pray together. It'll knit your heart with people. People in ministry who pray together are some of the closest people there are in the church. Husbands and wives who pray together have a spiritual relationship. Because something about opening your heart to the Lord is a beautiful thing. And letting your spouse see that, letting him hear that. I love when he said, it always amazes me what she says. He goes on to say, she's so thoughtful. And when we pray together, we feed off each other. Here's a great example. I can't think of the exact one, but I know it happened a bunch of times. Me and Karen are fighting about something. So, so we pray because eventually, you know, we can't, we can't do anything else. And we're both thinking, okay, we'll pray and God will show her. God will show him. You know, and so somebody will pray and then just say, and then just pray a little bit. And then, you know, you're just convicted and you just say, Lord, forgive me. I don't know why I'm being so stupid about this. I don't know why I'm being so stubborn. Lord, forgive me. Well, you know what? When you're the one to pray that, you know what's going on in your spouse? Crap. <laughs> I'm wrong too. And you know, when, when you're right, when you say amen, the other spouse says, Jesus, forgive me too. He was a jerk, but so was I. Lord, I didn't answer right. I didn't handle it right. I didn't speak right. Please forgive me, Lord. And, and this feeding off each other when you pray is such a beautiful thing. This hearing each other pray is such a beautiful thing. 
prayer and reading the Bible. Some of the other things said is when we serve together, when we worship, when we're at church together and we're hearing the word together. These are spiritual activities, right? These are just generally accepted spiritual activities. And you need to do them together to have a spiritual relationship. You, you just need to. I, I think every Christian couple ought to go home on a Sunday and have a little bit of time saying, what, what did you think about today? Did the Lord speak to you? Can I, can I tell you what spoke to me today? Can I tell you what ministered to me? I think this is a, this is a ready-made opportunity. It's sort of like, you know, like I told you with your kids, you need to look for opportunities. I think there's an opportunity to talk about the Bible. And, and Ryan would say this. It's perfectly fine to get in your car and say, you know what, I'm not sure what Ryan said if I really do agree with that. I, I, don't, I don't know. As long as you're talking about it and talking about other verses and coming together and searching the Lord, that makes us super happy. We're, we're not the kind of guys that want you to come to church and disagree with everything we say. We're hoping to make you into Bereans. People who, when we say something and we misspeak it, you're thinking, I don't know if that's right, and here's why I don't know if it's right. <clears throat> I love having people like that in my church. Because I know they're spiritual people. I know they're thinking about things. I know they're not just, just taking everything, and they're not just sitting there thinking, man, you know, if he doesn't let me out soon, El Torito's going to be packed. <laughs> no? Like, I'm not going to be able to get to, you know, the barbecue place if we don't get out of here right now. There could be a couple of you thinking that now because I think I'm a couple minutes over. It's a ready-made opportunity every time you sit through a Bible study together to just say, like, what would you think about that? Did anything speak to you? And if something spoke to you, then the onus is on you to say to your spouse, hey, I want to tell you what spoke to me today. And you should definitely do this if it has anything to do with you and the other person. You know, if it has to do with how you've been treating your wife or how you've been treating your husband or how you've been conducting yourself or what's going on in your life, you should be the one to say, honey, I need to tell you what God spoke to me today. I need to tell you, I need to say, this is what he spoke to me. I haven't been doing this right. I'm sorry. I want to do it right. Help me. Pray for me. Pray with me. Find a gentle way to remind me when I, you know, when I don't do it right. You know, find a way to talk to me. I'll try my best not to be defensive when you do. This is what the Lord spoke to me. Those are ways you can develop personal relationships. Somebody said, the question, I feel spiritually closest to my wife. Someone said, I felt convicted right when you said that because I don't feel spiritually close to my spouse. And it's possible to do all the things. Read your Bible, pray, do your devotion, serve. And, and not be spiritually close to your spouse. And what a shame that is and how far short that is of what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to have a spiritual relationship. It's how we'll be able to impact the world around us. By being people who pray together, by being people who talk about the word together. You know what that does? It then allows us to minister to others. When, when I filled this out at our church, I feel spiritually closest to my spouse when my answer was when Karen and I have an opportunity to minister to somebody together. And we have this, and sometimes we're stepping all over each other and sometimes we get upset for, for interrupting each other. But we have, when it works right, we have this beautiful tag team 
like the Bushwhackers from WWE. <laughs> We're this beautiful tag team of just like coming in and back and in and back. And we did it so much and we interrupt each other so much. We came up with this system and this is it. When she's talking, instead of interrupting her, I try to put up a finger. And the finger reminds me of, of what I wanted to say when I was going to interrupt her. And if she sees my finger or I see her finger, I know to just get to the point as quick as I can because they have something they want to say. You know? And it, it's kind of bad when it's like this, and then it goes like this, and then it goes like this, because this one's gone now. I'll, I'll never remember that one. But that's when I feel closest to her. And we can do that when we pray together, when we pray for each other, when, when we, and we don't read together. Karen and I don't sit down and read together. We read in the same place, and then, and then we share with each other what the Lord's speaking to us. And if we happen to be in different places, like I go to a conference, she goes to a conference, we get together and share what the Lord spoke to us. And by doing those things, we then, we then are presented with these opportunities to minister to people. You know? I, I, you know, I didn't see the, the, the least anyone had been married, but there's always people that you can help. You know? That's not just Ryan's job, not just Ryan and Andrea's job. We all ought to be able to be beneficial to somebody, to another married couple. We ought, to be, we ought to be able to bless them spiritually to point them to Jesus. Spiritual life, spiritual relationship is the foundational principle of Christian marriage. And it doesn't take me long in any counseling situation to ask the question, when was the last time you prayed together? And this is about the time people stare at the ground and they shuffle their feet and they start with the, well, um, he works nights and I work days. And, the, and then I always just say, well, you talk, don't you? Do you talk to each other? Yeah. But you don't. When was the last time you talked about the Bible together? Well, have you, did you talk about, you know, that double homicide beheading that happened in our town? This, this is what I get to say to people. That home invasion beheading homicide that happened where we live. Did you talk about that last week? Yeah. Okay. Right? And I'm trying to help them understand that, yeah, you have some other problems, but this is also a problem. This is also... The only time you come to Jesus together shouldn't be when you've screwed things up beyond all recognition. This shouldn't be the only time you come to Jesus together. Right? It's important. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the people that you brought here tonight. Lord, I pray you'd bless each one of them. Lord, you 